Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seaview Quantum Network. I'm your presenter, Daniel, and I'm here with producer Claudia Pareca. We are cosmic beings, beings of light. A single moment of your time is one of the most extraordinary gifts we could ever be given. We are honored every time that we receive one of those moments. We are honored, overjoyed, privileged, and humbled. We serve in your presence. Our shows are held on Mondays and Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, 9 a.m. Pacific. At any moment to participate on one of our shows, please call 805-830-8344 and press 1 to talk with the host. All podcasts are easily found in all social media and are available free, live, or on demand. To request a show, please write to Claudia Pareco, cview1111 at gmail.com, or visit our website, cview1111.net. Call for free at 805-830-8344 and wait in line or use Take My Call. And for $11, you can jump the long list of callers. Do so at www.paypal.me slash p-u-r-e-c-o slash 11. And then please PM or email Claudia Pareco with the phone number you'll call the show at cview1111 at gmail.com. Now, let's listen to our host and topic of the day. much Danny and welcome everybody to see you. Today we have a fantastic topic. We are talking about lucid dreaming by author cartoonist Ian Jaded. His art and writing is inspired by 25 plus years of meditation and astral projection practices. At the young age of 19, Ian began spontaneously experiencing the phenomenon known as lucid dreaming. Highly intense states of awareness where the dreamer wakes up to the fact that he or she is dreaming. Ian is an author, public speaker, and artist who becomes spontaneously doing lucid dreaming, and he's going to tell us today more information about what it is, why is it important to bring it as one of your tools for spiritual awakening, and if you have any questions or if you want to contact Ian directly for his magnificent paintings or his illustration art books, please contact him on Facebook, Ian Jaley, Twitter, Instagram, or you can go to his page on Facebook, Iboga Moon Protections. Ian's publisher can be found at gladeipress.com. But now, let's start the topic of the day with the host of the day, Ian J.D. Hey, Ian, how are you? Great, Claudia, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. 
Sounds like it. Yeah, I'm doing good too. Yeah. Well, good good afternoon <laughs> to you. It's it's morning where I'm at, but uh good morning to you. <laughs> yes. Good morning and good afternoon to me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wherever you may be. <laughs> That's when you know that we are actually in different timelines. Like not only sometimes, we are in timelines. Like something that's still happening for you, it already happened to me. So how more uh, do we need to understand that we live in different realities, in different parallels? And in this case, we're going to talk about dreaming and how dreaming, even though many people think, oh, it's just a dream, or when you're dreaming, you're wasting life. Well, you're going to let us know how is it not. Dreaming is so much more than just dreams. Right. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, And we're going to go into the heart of what is really going on there. And I'm going to describe why lucid dreaming and we're going to talk about astral projection as well. I'm going to go into why it is really in many ways an after effect of even more important issues. Uh, There are factors involved behind, sort of behind the scenes of lucid dreaming that I really like to talk about, and we're going to get into that today. So I, I like to talk about the, the, the heart of these issues. I like to talk about the, talk about the core of these issues and what, what's going on. But uh, let me begin by saying that, again, as you said, I've been doing this for some 25 years. I'm, I'm going to be 48 at the end of the month. I started doing this at about the age, as you said, of about the age of 19. And for you know, it's funny that I've only began speaking publicly about this stuff and writing about these experiences within the last oh, few years. I mean, fairly recently, in the, just in the last few years, because – and it's a good thing. In retrospect, I'd say that's a good thing because it took me years and years to really get to a point where – I feel that I've got really something, something unique, something that I can offer because for many years I was just kind of being in a way just sort of dragged along by these experiences because they were so incredible. They were so overwhelming. I I really didn't know what to make of them. And and only recently, like I said, that I began to like something began to consolidate in me, something began to really click. And I, I, now I feel that I understand a greater perspective of how all of these things are connected, how many uh, practices that we call spiritual or occult or esoteric, how many of these practices are combined. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that as well at, throughout this discussion. But why don't I start at the beginning and uh, start at you know, wh- where, this, where this all began so we can kind of put this into some perspective, unless, you'd like to just, unless you've got a specific question you need to start me off with or, or anything else. Otherwise, I'm just going to jump right into it. <laughs> no, it's just the right moment to start with how it started with you. But I just wanted to mention that the sure. reason I believe that you are bringing this information and just now, which is not just now, there's no time, it's because you were waiting for the world to be ready. And now hmm. the world is ready for you. I like that idea. I, I'm not, I don't know what to think about that. I, I definitely see – it's hard to look at the world – as a whole sometimes, but I can certainly see the trajectory of my own life. And, and I know that 
so many things have come together and I see all of the, you know, the synchronicities. That's another thing that we're always looking at. So many synchronicities are coming together and I'm seeing like, as you said, this is certainly a time for me to be speaking personally. And I, I guess the best I can say is that I certainly hope that you're right, Claudia. I hope that, <laughs> that the world is in a place where we need, well, I know that we need it. There's no doubt about that. First of all, this is something that, my God, we need this information uh, now more than ever. I think that uh, I'm very concerned about the state of humanity. I'm just very concerned about the state of the world in general. And uh, I believe that if people were tapping into some of these notions, some of these ideas that I'm going to be talking about, I know that we could heal ourselves and that's where it starts. You know, so many people talk about healing the world and that, that to me, it's too big. You have to start with healing yourself. So many people out there are so concerned about, well, I want, I want to be a healer. I want to be, uh, I want to be a, a guide for other people, but you have got to start with yourself. And I feel that that's what I was doing for the last, you know, 25 years of my life or so. I was just focusing on getting myself straight, getting myself to a point where I needed to be. And I have been through trial and error, trial and error. And I've been through trial by fire uh, again and again. And uh, now I'm at a point where I know that I definitely, I definitely have something to share. So, uh, indeed, I. So I, I, I guess I'm just going to jump in if that's okay. <laughs> okay. So I say that I started lucid dreaming at about the age of 19, but something that is common for for many other lucid dreamers as well as myself is that we often, after we start lucid dreaming, many people only then do they remember that they were doing this as a child. And it is, it's absolutely amazing to me how this worked out because I, I vividly remember my, my, what I call my first lucid dream at about the age of 19, but it wasn't for a few, it was, it was maybe even a year later that I, it's like this whole chunk of memories came back to me when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And I was doing this all the time. And it's amazing how that works. It's so strange the way memory works, how you can, it's like some memories do not pop up for you until you're really ready to process them. And it's, it's, it's just shocking that I was able to almost just ignore or delete a whole bunch of memories. But my first major experience was about the age of 19. And I'm going to set up the scene a little bit because the, the circumstances are a little bit in, uh, are, are somewhat important to other people who are going to be getting into this practice or, or who want to lucid dream. And by the way, let me just say that I think that I, I do not believe that I have a special gift. There is nothing about my DNA or about my family history. I believe that every person who truly is inspired and truly passionate about getting into this practice, I believe anybody can pick this up. Again, now with that said, this did happen to me spontaneously is the way I perceive it. I may have had some uh, some factors about the way I thought about things that helped me do this. Uh, that that's a possibility, but I still believe anybody can pick this up. So at about the age of 19, specifically what happened, I was out of high school. I had graduated and I kind of had that, that, that 
chunk of education behind me. I had kind of reached that milestone and I had a space in my life now, you know, where I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had not signed up for college yet. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was working, you know, some sort of job at the time. I think I was working at some art supply shop or, or something like that in my town outside of Chicago. And what happened specifically was that I, I remember that I drove my mother to work in the morning. I, cause she, well, she, uh, she worked in downtown Chicago. And so she would go down there really early in the morning. She would get up at like five in the morning or something like that. And I would get up and I'd take her down there, but then I would come back home and I would fall back asleep. So that's important because you have to understand I had kind of primed myself in the best way possible for a lucid dream. Uh, of course, I did not know this at the time. In fact, at the time, I had never even heard of the term lucid dream. There was, there was not the information accessible like you can get today everywhere in books and on the Internet and whatnot. It was, it was not a term that people really talked about too much. But what happened was is that I had to be awake. I had to drive across town. I had to be awake enough to operate a car. And then I had to come back to my house. And then I, you know, fell asleep for about another couple more hours. So my mind was kind of awake. It was in the morning. I was, you know, this was not a deep, deep sleep, you know, like you get in the middle of the night with our, you know, typical REM sleep. So my mind was slightly awake. My body was a little bit little bit wired up a bit because I, uh, you know, I'd been driving, I'd been driving in uh, Chicago suburb traffic and whatnot. So that's something that people should keep in mind that many lucid dreams will often happen in the morning. Uh, now that's not always the case, but it's often when people, sometimes people will lucid dream when they even just take a nap in the middle of the afternoon. And it's a perfect time because you're not going into that super deep sleep. Your mind is kind of still a little bit restless a little bit. And, and yet what we've got to do is you've got to get your body into that state of REM. And when you go into REM, your body goes into what's called sleep paralysis. And sleep paralysis is a very natural thing that your body does every time you go into a dream state. Uh, the difference is, is that some people who are prone to lucid dreaming become aware of sleep paralysis. Uh, of course, sleep paralysis is when your, your muscles uh, actually go into a, well, it, it's a paralysis. Your muscles kind of go limp, so to speak. And some uh, evolutionary biologists have theorized that perhaps this was so, this was something so that we would not go acting out all of our dreams so that we were not, you know, thrashing around and whatnot in the middle of the night so that you'd kind of, your body would remain inert. So in this, at this particular day, I went back to sleep. Uh, my mind was kind of awake, and I went into a visionary state unlike anything I had ever experienced. So let me be very clear that I, at this, at this age, I had never experimented with any sort of medicinal plants or hallucinogens. That's a question that I would often get. Uh, when I tell people about these stories, like, all right, what kind of drugs were you on, Ian? <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't on anything. I absolutely, there was nothing whatsoever. I mean, my experience at that age was, uh, you know, maybe I smoked a little bit of marijuana here and there, but, you know, that was not really a factor in my life. I had, you know, I, I, I had been to some parties. I definitely had drank some alcohol, but I was not really a fan of alcohol either. But uh, so I was 
perfectly sober, not on, not under the influence of anything whatsoever. <laughs> but I went into a visionary state where I found myself in a forest specifically, and it was uh, an incredible forest. It was the most amazing, ethereal, beautiful forest I'd ever seen. And I realized that I was seeing a view from a cabin that my family used to, uh, we used to go to when I was younger, back, back when I was, you know, much younger, we had a cabin in, in this, uh, it was called Dwajak, Michigan. But I noticed that this was, it didn't look quite like the same forest that I remember. These trees were somehow, this, these were different and there were no roads. There were no houses or anything like that. And I realized that I was seeing this, this area of a forest in Dwajak, Michigan, that I, again, that I was familiar with from childhood, but this was something like perhaps a couple hundred years in the past. I was like seeing what this forest looked like at least, and that's just a guess. I don't know the date exactly. I was not shown that, but I was seeing it from uh, what the forest would have looked like perhaps a couple hundred years ago. Now I had my own little adventure in this lucid dream, but the, most important factor was that I was fully aware of what was going on. I was not confused whatsoever that, you know, of where I was. I knew that I was dreaming. I knew that my body was still very much asleep in my bed. I was a hundred percent aware of that. And by the end of this lucid dream, uh, what happened is that I kind of wandered around this forest. I, and I sat down in a very specific spot in this forest, and then I was sort of launched out of my body into the atmosphere, into the cosmos. And this experience shook me up so much. In fact, I actually, when I woke up, I, I was sitting up straight in my bed, and I believe that I was even shouting. As I recall, I was shouting, and I was drenched in sweat. And instinctually the first thing that I did is I ran into my bathroom and I, and I stared into the mirror and I didn't know why I did that at the time. Now it makes sense. Now I, when I look back at this, I, it makes perfect sense. I would, I, I didn't know who I was. There was something, I didn't know what my identity was. And this is a question that comes up a lot with these kind of practices. And this is something that speaks to the heart of these practices. This question of who am I? Who am I in the face of this? You know, when we have these mind altering, these uh, world changing experiences, that is something that uh, that we find ourselves asking a lot, even in meditation. If we think about this, even in just basic meditation practices, the idea of turning off the internal dialogue, the idea of stopping thinking of, of not thinking for a while. So many people, and I'm sure you've come across this yourself, Claudia. So many people are, when, when they're unfamiliar with a, a simple meditation practice, their first question is, well, if I stop thinking, then, then, then what am I? Then, then who am I? If, if I'm not thinking about something, then, then where does that leave me? You know, what is my story? If I stop thinking uh, so much and it's interesting that our brain goes there because that really does speak to the heart of what's really going on here. And what I am saying is going on here all has to do with these stories that we carry around internally. 
So let's go into that. And I call this narrative. In fact, my second book that I'm finishing editing right now is all about this topic that I'm going into right now. And it's all about narrative. It's all about the narratives, the storylines that we hold on to. And let me put that in perspective. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Let's think about a regular, a normal dream. All right. Our normal dream life, we go to sleep and we have a dream. Our dreams can be anything, right? We are, you know, we can imagine, we can, we can have some dreams that we are, you know, a part of some, you know, government CIA program and we're investigating something on another planet. I, I mean, the, these storylines, of course, can get as crazy a, as possible, right? But the trick, the most important aspect of a normal dream is that what our relationship is to the narrative, okay? And what I would say is in a normal dream, our relationship to that narrative is that is one where we are bound. We are bound to a storyline. We are being dragged along behind this storyline. We do not feel that we are in charge of this storyline. We are not stopping to question, hey, is this narrative even real? We never do that in a normal dream, do we? We just go, okay, this is the problem that I've been faced with. So I'm going to go forward and I'm going to go try to solve this problem. What a lucid dreamer can do, they can do something very, very strange. They can stop midstream and say, wait a minute, is this story even real? Is this narrative that, is, that I'm being presented with even actually taking place? And that is something that we don't, we almost don't ever do. And I would say we don't ever do it because we don't ever do this in our daily life. We have stories running in our, in our heads all the time, don't we? We have an internal dialogue. We think to ourselves, you know, we've got our, our daily dramas that are going on. You know, all of us do, but rarely do we ever stop and go, how legitimate is this narrative that I have got running in my head? How legitimate it is? How real is it? We don't ever ask that question. And if we don't ever ask that question, if we never do a, what some people call a reality check, if we never stop and ask, is any of this even real, then you are always going to be dragged along from behind this, this dynamic of a narrative. And that narrative can take place at night or it can take place during the day. Uh, and some people who are really dragged along by narratives are, the, are also the ones who are – you will also find that they're addicted to their phones, for example. They can't stop looking at their phones. They can't stop looking at their televisions. They are very addicted to what is going on on, on their screens or in their books, if, if you're following me on this, because people who are addicted to narratives, they're, they're not able to detach from them. So what I have realized over the years is that it is all about our relationship with narrative, and there are ways to start examining this and start to really pull back and understand what your real relationship is to all of the noise that's going on, whether it's going on inside your head, whether it's going on in a movie, whether it's going on even you know, on your phone or on the internet. They're all narrative is narrative, no matter whether it's in your head or it's in media. And that, that's something that a lot of people don't really appreciate. It's all about your relationship to that narrative, though. Okay, so 
here's the trick. We have to detach. Like I said, we have to detach ourselves from all of the narratives. And the mother of all narratives, as I said, is the one that's going on in your head. We have to be able to pull back from it. We have to be able to remove ourselves from it, take a step back, take a pause and go, is this real? Is this story that I've got spinning, is it legitimate? And that is very difficult for people. It is uh, something that we are, we are unfortunately, especially in, in our culture, it's not something that we're really trained to do. It's, I would say that a, uh, you, you could call this a meditation practice, but for me, I would say specifically a meditation practice should be designed so that you are learning how to detach from your internal dialogue. If you can remove yourself from your internal dialogue, you are going to find yourself with so much more authority over your life. You're going to find yourself with so much more empowerment over, over not just your own mind, but over your dream states as well. Now, what does this lead into? As I said, at the end of my, my first lucid dream, I, was, I, I found myself that I had, I had projected outward, and we call this astral projection. Astral projection is, is in many ways just another term for an out-of-body experience. Now, at the time, I did not understand that there was a natural connection between this lucid dreaming and astral projection. Again, this was... I, this was like the 1990 or so. So again, a little over 20, you know, some 25 years ago or so. Uh, there was not the information that we have today. And now you can go onto a, you know, I'm, I'm connected to a bunch of Facebook groups. There's so many books. There's so many blogs out there. I myself write articles for a for an organization called Lucid Dream Research, where we talk about this, you know, uh, all the time. Where this is a this is a very common topic. How these two things are related. But at the time, I was absolutely shocked to find that there was some sort of connection between waking up in your dream state and then leaving your body. To me, this was a complete mystery. I had no, I had no idea whatsoever. Like, why, why would these two things be connected? They seem completely unrelated entirely. Well, what I learned is that our very consciousness is anchored by these narratives so when I talk about the relationship that we carry with narratives, this is not just a this is not just an academic uh, endeavor. Okay, this is not just something that is good for your mental health. It's not just something that's good for your psychological framework. Okay, this is truly what anchors your consciousness to your physical body. And what I've had to accept over the years is that. Your consciousness is absolutely not uh, bound to the physical form, and that was very difficult for me to have to accept. But what started happening to me over the years is I started in these. By the way, after these uh, these lucid dreams began around the age of nineteen, I started having these regularly. They were happening almost every night. And some of these experiences would go on for hours on end. I would be in these lucid states. I would be shown, uh, you know, all sorts of different landscapes. I would have uh, entities and people come in and talk to me just as clearly as people come in and talk to you in your daily life. And I would have to sort of deal with that and go, okay, well, what, 
what is the nature of this thing that I'm talking to? Is this, is it part of me? Is it, is it, is it part of my subconscious? And what does that really mean? Yada, yada, yada. But what I started finding over the years is that I started having dreams, these lucid dreams where I would be able to see where, for example, where my mother was at. I would be able to see my mother and she was, you know, at the time, hundreds of miles away, you know, across a different state, you know, across state lines. And uh, I'd be able to see what she was doing in the morning. You know, at one point, one, one of the first things that happened that I was really able to confirm was I was at the time living outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. And the dream that I had took place around 6.30 in the morning, 7 in the morning, somewhere around there. And I was able to watch what my mother was doing where she still lived outside of Chicago. So, you know, a couple hundred miles of of a distance there. And I was very clearly able to, I was sort of positioned sort of up near the ceiling of the kitchen. And I was able to watch her just kind of, she was making breakfast. She was moving some pans around. I, I was able to see what she was wearing, and I could tell that she was getting ready to go to work in the morning. So it wasn't until later that uh, I gave her a call, just out of curiosity. I, you know, I said, Ma, what, I need you to describe to me exactly what it was that you were doing at around 7 in the morning. I mean, I need to know everything. And tell me what you were wearing, what exactly you, know, you were doing. And she started to describe this scene, which was precisely what I saw. So that one experience, it kind of shook me up, but I also could, you know, I, I'm a very logical person. I, uh, I, I, I was taught by my father how to be a very rational, uh, rational minded person. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, maybe that's just coincidence. You know, I know my mother deeply, maybe somehow I, I, I just kind of pieced it all together of what mom would have been doing at this point. But then these experiences continued and they started to add up where I was able to see what other people, where they were at, what they were engaged in while I was asleep. And as these experiences, you know, kind of stacked up and I continued to make phone calls in the morning going, okay, you know, uncle Bill, what were, what were you doing at, you know, six thirty in the morning? And I would say that to my horror, uh, the stories that continued to come back were exactly what I was seeing. Well, I didn't want to hear this. I mean, not at, you know, again, I was in my early twenties by the time I really started clicking into this. And, uh, you know, these stories probably sound exciting. That's, I mean, to a lot of people like, wow, how, how interesting, how fascinating. But when it happens to you and you have not been raised in this Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, framework, this is very, this was very disturbing to me because now I had to face, face a fact that, that this was no longer coincidence. I mean, at some point, all right, you know, you, you can't just chalk this up to a coincidence anymore. Like this is this, I somehow something, some part of me is able to leave my body, whatever the heck that even means. Right. I mean, I didn't know, I, I wasn't sure what that meant. So some part of me is able to project out. I can see what's going on in other places, and then I can come back with these memories, and uh, you know I can bring this information back, and it and it's accurate. Well, that also meant to me that all of a sudden these strange lucid dreams, which were already as bizarre as they could be, now I also had to face the fact that these weren't really taking place in the safety and comfort of my own head. 
and I, you know, I didn't like that. I didn't, I, uh, that was, that was, that was, uh, disturbing. I, I, cause I didn't know what to make of that. And the reality is, is that now, uh, I, I, I coach and I advise lots of people who come and connect with me on Facebook or whatever, uh, or, or through my website, you know, people come and talk to me and, you know, they're, and they are also filled with some of the same kind of concerns and fears that I was. And I, I have nothing but compassion for it, but I'm also now in a, in a place where I realize that, you know, nothing can hurt you in these states. There's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, you know, one question that I get is, well, what if I don't come back to my body? What if I do this and, you know, and I don't come back, you know, all these sort of things. And I, you know, all of, all of the, the fears upon fears. And all I can say is that, you know, you, you need to have an adventurous spirit. First of all, you kind of have to, to get into these practices. You first of all have to have, uh, the sort of balance in your life where you are more adventurous than you are afraid. I'm going to say that again, because it's so important. You have to be more adventurous than you are afraid. You have to be able to have that fear be outweighed with your excitement about what's out there. What's the, what is the unknown? And, and you have to be passionate about that question of what am I, what am I really? Am I, am I just the body? Am I simply just a physical thing that, you know, was born and and it is going and going to die? And is my consciousness just something that my mind manufactures that just simply dissolves at the end of my life? Or is it possible that there's something else, that there's something bigger, that consciousness perhaps is not playing by the same rules as the rest of our physical world? So, Claudia, I've been talking for a straight 20 minutes now, so I'm, I'm going to give you a second now if you want to stop me and, re- and you know, uh, direct me to, to something else or perhaps a different question. If not, I'll just keep going, but I, I just want to give you the opportunity to, you know, uh, if, if, or if there's a caller or something like that, I don't want to just bowl everybody over here. No, I, I just want um, to mention that, so in all these practices that you have been uh, talking about, so you started having these lucid dreams and then you started having these astral projections and you started to experience things that many people don't know or are now starting to know about. And yep. um, have you ever asked yourself, what is the reason why you got it and what is the, your mission in life with that? Uh, I think you're hearing about that mission right now. So again, I'm not, I, I, I'm careful to answer questions in terms of, you know, what is the bigger picture outside of what I'm doing? I, because that comes, for me, that comes down to conjecture. I, I have... I have a very strong instinct that I am absolutely that when I, I can look back at all of these experiences back from the time I was born and I can see it. I can see a very clear trajectory now where I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I am supposed to be writing books. I'm supposed to be writing articles. I am supposed to be speaking about this. And I believe the message that I have that I am supposed to be bringing is exactly what I am telling you right now is that we have to redirect our focus to the correct spot. If we want to really explore the, the full potential of what our consciousness can do, we've got to take a look at the anchor 
that binds our consciousness to this world to begin with. And I will come back to it again and again. It, it's, it's not just, it, it is the people in our lives. I'm not saying it's not just the things we, we love or the, the, the things that we do, but first and foremost, it is a story that we carry. It is a narrative that we have. And that narrative can be a good narrative or it can be a bad narrative. It can be a true narrative or it could be a false narrative or it could be a mixture of the two. Often, often the, you know, how many times in our lives have we talked to somebody who we have perhaps known for, you know, uh, you know perhaps have been in a relationship with for years and years, and then they and then they tell you something about the way they see the world or the way they think about something, and you are just shocked. And you're like, my <laughs> God, I've known you all my life, and I've had no idea that this is the way that your brain works or this is the way that you think about things. And it's just uh, – it's amazing how, how often we are asleep to all of these narratives that we all carry. So – I'm always redirecting our attention to what are the, what is your relationship with stories in your life? And if it's too abstract and sometimes it is too abstract to really look at the narrative that you are carrying. And when I say the narrative that you're carrying, I'm, I am directly talking about directly the story that you are carrying right now. Everyone who's listening right now to this, to this show I want you I want all of you to just stop for a second. I want you just to think. If if I asked you right now, "Hey, what did you do today?" What are you, you know, what, tell me your story. What what's going on with you right now? Right? All of you would have, you know, your brain would take millions and millions of pieces of data and information and memories and it would streamline it and it would edit it into a highly condensed version of something that would sound something along the lines of well you know you know this is what I do for a living and this is my name and this is where I live and you know and this is what I did this morning and then I drove to work and da 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 and we have this running story right now again I'm not, I'm not saying that this story is fake i'm not saying that it's false what i'm saying is to be aware of what that story that we are constantly conjuring up in our head be aware of what that story is it is not the full truth it is ab it can never be the full truth it is a highly edited version of the truth in much the same way that a movie editor has to take hours and hours of film and they have to edit it down into just the relevant little pieces and then present this small streamlined version. But what I'm saying is one of the reasons, one of the, the, the well, the reason I would say that we as humans are attracted to stories and we are a species of storytellers. We're a species of storytellers, which makes us so different from every other animal on this planet. It's the main thing that separates us from, I'd say every other creature on this planet. We are storytellers, and it is because our brain, that's how our brain handles information. When, when neurologists look at the way our brains handle information, it's the same thing. We, we put it in the form of what uh, Joseph Campbell referred to as a hero's journey. It's, a, it's the typical storyline of all storylines. Like, well, you know, I've been kind of going through this struggle, and I've got this obstacle in front of me, and then, I, and then I'd like to think that I'm going to overcome whatever obstacle this is. And then I'd like to think that there will be some reward for this obstacle. You know, you, we, we'd like to think of our lives as going through a drama, going through our, 
our troubles and all of our, you know, everything that goes on in our lives. And we'd like to think that we're going to get through it. And we usually do. I mean, those of us who are, who are still here and we're, and, and those of you who are listening to this story right now, we've all had problems in our lives again and again and again. And then you get through them and you learn something. You, you walk away with, you know, some sort of treasure, some reward for your efforts. You know, I mean, the whole point of our lives is that if you can look back at all the terror, even the terrible things that have happened in your life and go, you know what, but I was able to walk away with something that made me stronger. And our narratives that we carry streamline all of that information into these stories that we are holding in our heads all the time. Again, I am not saying these stories are fake. What I'm saying is be aware that it is just a story and you are not that internal dialogue, you are not that story that you are thinking. And that is the most important lesson. I'd say if there is a lesson of all lessons to start with, it's that. So many people, we are so bound up in that thinking that goes in on our head all day, all of the stories that we have, people are convinced that who they are at the core stories. are their stories. And it is absolutely not true. It is absolutely those stories, they are separate. It's a separate thing. It is a, an edited version of reality that you are bound to. So what I am suggesting is pull back from that, you know, remove yourself from that and meditate from time to time. Like I said, to me, the, the whole point of meditation is to be able to simply stop for a few minutes and to be able to just stop telling your story, stop thinking, stop with the narratives just for a few moments. And when we do that, that is when you start to really realize just how bound you are to that internal thinking, because it's, I mean, I'm not, are you a meditator? Claudia, are you someone who meditates regularly? Or, or? Yeah, not, not in the way that books say that you do, but I what, from what you, I understand is like, I do become the observer of my life many times. Oh, like, yeah. like there's something going on and then it's almost like you become the, the oh, let's see what's going on. And you, and you separate yourself somehow. And yep. you become the observer, okay? Oh, and then it is fun when you do that. You you end up seeing the story, and there's no emotion or no, no nothing because at that point you are observing how is it that things seem to happen at certain times with certain people. And you're right. I have understood, and I understand that all of the characters that are in my story are not real. They are just the characters that I choose to have to play certain roles, but they are not real. They are just a role. They are so much more than whatever I can identify in my story. And the same way myself with others, whatever others perceive of me is just a role. Like right now, having the role of the producer with you and you are the host of the day. And those are just rules. They are. And, and again, that's why I come back to that idea of how many times have you had a conversation with someone, even someone who you've known for years, and oh, they might tell you, you know, to, and they tell you some story about who they think you are. And you're like, 
That's who you think I am? That is, that is what you think I care about or that's, that's the story that yeah. you have built around me? But that's what we do. We run into people in our lives. We connect with people in our lives and we wrap a story around them. Like, and, and sometimes we do it immediately, you know, and that's, I mean, I would say that's even the, in the most extreme senses, that is the, that's where racism comes from. It's where sexism Mm -hmm. comes from. You immediately look at someone, you look at the color of their skin, or you look at, you know, what kind of religion they might identify with or what political party, yada, yada, yada. And check, 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 exactly. You put it in a box, you go, well, that's, I've, I've already got you in this nice little you wrap them in a narrative they are wrapped in a narrative and like in and we often we get very upset when someone does something that does not conform to that narrative because then we have to go oh i don't like to think about that my stories that i'm carrying in my head aren't true you know i we like this idea of you know this this uh this streamlined version of our reality but but what lucid dreamers crave the people who are invested in astral projection we crave those experiences so now mm-hmm. i'm in a point where when someone does something out of character or i find out that something that i have thought for years and years is not true i adore it i think that that's wonderful because to me that's another opportunity to break away from these chains these stories that we are so bound to and again as i said at the heart of it it's the reason why so many people can not meditate. It's why they cannot meditate. Some people are very good with going through the ritual of meditating. You know, some people like the idea of burning sage. They like the idea of lighting incense. They like the idea of putting on some nice music and, and lighting candles. But, but when it actually comes to detaching from that storyline that you were just talking about, that's where so many people go, well, I don't like that because if I, <laughs> if I realize my story isn't true, then where does that leave me? What am I left with? And the message that I will come back to again and again is if you can detach from all of those stories, all of those narratives, you are not just going to be free. You are going to find that your consciousness is not even bound to your physical body, that it can go wherever the heck it wants to. So you can take my message on several different levels. You can take it from a, a purely psychological perspective and say, you know what, it's just, a, it's just mentally and emotionally healthier to not be wrapped up in storylines, right? I mean, that's, there's, I, I think that most psychologists, you know, uh, atheist psychologists would definitely agree with that message. But all I'm saying is that I'm taking that a step further and I'm telling you that you are not even going to be able to understand the bounds of your own consciousness until you really get this relationship with your storylines in check. And again, like I'm saying, uh, that, that's the, that is the, the very topic of the second book that I'm finishing right now. And it's really ultimately at the core, it's the topic of tripping the field. My first book that I wrote, uh, one of the reasons I'm even able to be on these podcasts and these radio shows and, you know, write these articles that I, that I have is because of my first book, tripping the field, tripping the field is completely fictional. It is absolutely a wacky wild adventure. There is, it is not meant to be taken seriously, but at the heart of tripping the field is all of my insights and experience that I have picked up over the last 25, 30 years of my life. And it's, it's all about looking at yourself at a, from a completely different perspective and exploring what the bounds of that really means. What, 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 what are, what are our limits? What, how, just how far can we take this when we can detach from our stories that we carry?
And that's, that's what the game is all about here. So I'm going to give you another opportunity if you want to redirect me. Yeah, go for it. We do think, Ian, that we would be able to completely change the narrative. I'm not talking about just uh, adjust this and adjust that, because that is actually easy or easier. But do you really think we could be able to completely change our current narrative? Oh, absolutely. But it starts with being able to drop the one you've got first. So my, my, my feeling is that it's, it's very, if, if it's not completely impossible, it's a very, very slow process to try to move from one narrative to another narrative, to try to really change a narrative when you are still bound to the idea of narrative to begin with. So you kind mm-hmm. of have to be able to drop the first one to begin with. You have to be good at this, this skill that I'm referring to, this, this technique that I keep pointing back to of how can I drop the narratives that I'm carrying? And it all comes back to detaching from the, being able to just quiet the mind and be able to realize that, Hey, if if I'm observing my thoughts, then that means that there is something that is doing the observing. That's, okay. Yeah, that's that, right. That means that there is an object and there is an observer. That means that there are, there are thoughts, but then there's also the me. And if you can get in touch with that, if you can truly get in touch with that and see that relationship, then, then Claudia, I would say, then you can start redefining your, you know, your, your life can start changing very dramatically. And I would say that a person who can do that, and I am absolutely, I'm, I've completely redefined my entire life over the past few years. My life looks nothing like what my life looked like just five years ago or so, because I am now in a position where I can completely, I can drop the narrative I'm carrying. And then I can, if I wish to, I can pick up a new one and I can totally create a brand new one about, you know, what, you know, what I, what I want now, my, I would say that where I'm at, I, I am certainly not suggesting that I'm a master of this because I still think there's a lot that I personally have to learn. I still have my own questions about just how far can we take this? Now, what I have seen is that when I, as I've been changing my narrative, I've been able to do things like heal myself. I've been mm-hmm. able to take care. I've been able to get rid of ailments. I've been able to get rid of skin lesions. I, I was even diagnosed with a, uh, a very mild form of skin cancer that I, that I was able to get rid of, <laughs> you know, things like that. Just uh, by changing the narrative. By changing the narrative, by getting rid of the narrative and, and, you know, and right now, how many people are carrying around a narrative right now about this coronavirus, for example? We have all got this – so many people are getting this storyline in their head about, about how scary it is, what it's going to do to them, and they are in full panic mode. Uh, the, the grocery store shelves are a perfect <laughs> example of, of, of that sort of – that sort of out of control narrative that people cannot control and how many people are just are coming down with symptoms when they're not even really sick. So uh, the mind is a very powerful thing. And we, and, and the reality is, is that this is not, this is not a paranormal thing that I'm talking about. Of course, we know about this science very much knows about this. Of course, they call it the placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. 
placebo effect is amazing. And of course, in, in medicine, the placebo effect is something that we generally discount. It's like, well, that's just the placebo effect. But if we really look at what's going on with the placebo effect, it is exactly what I'm talking about. The placebo effect is a narrative that we have about how medicine works. The doctor comes to you and tells you, hey, I'm going to give you this injection or I'm going to give you this pill, and this is what it's going to do. And for many people, that's what it will do, even if it's a sugar pill, even if it's a sugar pill. So that is amazing. And we, we shouldn't discount the placebo effect. We should revel in that in how powerful our mind and body can be and how powerful our body can even respond to these stories that we carry. It's, it's amazing. And again, we see this all day long of just how strongly our bodies relate to a simple story, even if we know the story isn't true. I mean, how many people take it for granted that we can sit and watch an action movie, right? Some sort of crazy thriller action movie, but yet we find our heart is racing, uh, we're sweating, we're literally our muscles are tensing, we're sitting at the edge of our seat. It is having a real bodily effect, even though consciously we would say, well, yeah, it's all fake. Yes, but your body doesn't know that, does it? Your body is not completely in on that, on that trick completely. There's a part of us that believes and, and it is attracted to narratives and it responds to all of these narratives as if they were real. So my my suggestion is get back to figuring out what your real relationship is. So I my understanding, Claudia, is that we're we're running out of time. We've got only about seven minutes left. Is that am I correct or no? Yeah, but it, we we will not be kicked out. So okay, I, okay. I, I can so control that. So don't worry. Okay, I wasn't sure because I'm I'm seeing a timer here. I just wanted to make sure. So. I want to offer a couple other things uh, to those of you who are interested in lucid dreaming. I, there are some, there are some tricks, there are some techniques uh, and there are things that have worked for me. And there are, you know, everybody out there on, on, in the YouTube world or the people I'm connected with on Facebook and whatnot, everyone has their own things that work for them. But uh, those of you who want to get involved in this practice, who have no, who have no background in this, uh, I'd like to offer them something that, you know, something a little bit more concrete that they could get started with. Uh, so one thing that is absolutely fantastic and it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating dynamic that goes on in our dream states is we can do reality checks in our dream states. And there's a fair, there's a, the, the best reality check that I have found and I still swear by is what I often simply referred to as the, the staring at your hands technique. Uh, this is a technique that I picked up from a series of books from Carlos Castaneda, uh, who, was, uh, who wrote about his experiences with the shaman back in the 1970s. You may be familiar with this line of books. They are absolutely yeah. famous. Uh, uh, one of the techniques that I picked up from those books, and I didn't pick it up until – I didn't pick up this technique until after I started lucid dreaming – and I, I, at the time, I was desperate for information. I was looking for anyone who might have some insight in, into these realms at all. And I, I, I cannot say for, for certain who exactly Carlos Castaneda was. I don't really know how true his exact stories were that he told. But I do know that the, the techniques and the insight that he offered is absolutely helpful. So one of the things I was able to pick up was a really quick thing you can do when you are in a dream state 
And if you are can get yourself to this point, then you are going to be golden. And what you can do is if you even suspect, if you have a suspicion that you are dreaming and you're kind of like uh, people will find themselves in this state like, you know, I'm, I kind of I'm in this dream, but I also kind of feel that maybe this isn't isn't real. And that's a kind of a you're kind of halfway between, you know, the dream state completely dragging dragging you behind and being lucid some people kind of find themselves somewhere in between where they just sort of suspect what you can do is you can simply lift your hand in front of your face and stare at it and when i say stare at it i simply mean just hold your gaze to your hand uh it's as simple as that now why am i telling you to do that first of all the reason I'm telling you to use your hand is because for some reason it seems to be a universal truth that your hand is always going to be found in your dream state. Uh, now, there's all kinds of other things that people have suggested. Oh, well, you should look at numbers on a clock or look at your phone or uh, well, there was even a, the, the movie Inception where uh, in the movie Inception with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, they all carried around mm-hmm. these they carried around these little totems or trinkets that they that they tried to figure out, you know, if it, if it behaved the same way. The problem I found with every other technique is that y- you often do not have those things in your possession in your dream state. You will find that, you know, that little top that he carried in, in Inception, that's not always going to be in your pocket is in, in, in reality. Or mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to be able to find your phone or a clock in your dream state, but your hands are for some reason always going to be there. And my, my guess is that, you know, our hands are our main tool that we use to manipulate the world. So that it's so embedded into our, you know, into our body and mind through and through that our hands are always there. So why? But, but Ian, when you Sorry, try to do that, when you try to do that and you're sleeping, uh, you can't like your hands are, you can't move your body, so how do you bring your your hands to you? Right. So what I'm talking about, I'm talking about in a dream state. I'm talking about that your hands will be there in the visionary state. I'm not talking about the physical at all. I am not talking okay. about your. I'm not saying that you are physically lifting your hands up. In fact, physically, your body should be in sleep paralysis at this point, mm-hmm. right? So your body is out. Your body is cashed out. You know, you are. You have taken that. I mean, the whole idea of the reason why lucid dreaming works is that you are taking the body out of the equation. But I'm talking about in the visionary realm, if you are in a dream state, your hand will be there in some form. And I'm saying that what you need to do is then hold your attention to your hand. What will happen in a dream state when you hold your attention to anything long enough in a dream state, it will shapeshift in some form. This is another universal quality of the human mind. I have theories on why this is the case that we could go into, but the point is, is that whatever you hold your attention to long enough in a dream state, it loses its solidity in a way that does not happen for us in our daily life. So what you'll see is you'll see your hand actually shapeshift. Your hand will, I've had my hand turn invisible. I've found after I stared at it long enough that I've had more fingers than I'm supposed to have, or <laughs> it changes, it changes colors. I mean, I've had my, I've had my hand do all sorts of crazy things. So when that happens, uh, when you see your hand shapeshift in front of you, it's like lightning through your system. It is like a 
bolt of energy that just charges up your spine. You now become fully aware and 100% convinced that you are dreaming. That sense of doubt is now destroyed of what is going on. There's no question of, well, gosh, am I dreaming? There is no doubt anymore. Now, if you can lift your hand in front of your face and stare at it and see it shapeshift, that does something to your to your the deepest parts of your consciousness, and you now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are now in a dream state. And that is the best place to start if you can get to that point. So I always I always suggest to my to to the newbies, to the people who are you know the newcomers to this practice. I'm like, I, I try to make it as simple as possible. Get to a point where you can lift your hand in front of your face. Now, one thing you can do, one thing that I, I've suggested to people is, you know, you can do this throughout the day too. It's a very simple thing. I mean, you know, practice this. If you practice this throughout the day, ideally, you know, you get into this pattern, whatever you, you get into a habit of, it's going to eventually seep into your, into your dream life. So do this throughout the day. I mean, don't, you know, maybe not while you're driving or anything like that, ideally, <laughs> but let simply lift your hand in front of your face and just stare at it, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, ask yourself seriously, hey, what is, what is the nature of my reality right now? Am, am I in a dream state? What's going on? And, uh, you know, and just do that throughout the day. And ideally, you're going to, at some point, you'll get to the point where in your dream state, you'll do it. And in the dream state, you will get a very different effect than you do in your daily life, that your hand will do some very odd things if you can get yourself to that point. And uh, at that point, you are, you are on your way. You are absolutely on your way. And you can come back to that, that trick again and again. Because once you wake up in your dreams, like I said, you have a new, you know, you're not bound to that narrative anymore. Now you can create mm-hmm your own narrative now and that's why lucid dreamers are are free we are free in a way that other people are not other people are just like i said other normal dreamers are just being dragged along behind their dreams they're just doing you know whatever the dream tells them to do well i've been i've been faced with this crazy problem no matter how insane this problem might be and i'm going to go try to you know solve it or i've got this monster chasing me or whatever and i'm going to go run away from it but once you become once you become fully lucid you can stop being chased by that monster turn around and go and you can look that thing in the eye and go now okay what what the heck are you you know what is the real nature of this thing that i'm running from and you know the psychological benefits of this cannot be exaggerated you know the the we are able to face our demons we are able to face our fears our anxieties and all the things that bother us on such a concrete level in these realms that you know i one one lucid dream can equal five years of sitting on a couch with a therapist. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that powerful. It is, it is just the most powerful thing you can do for yourself. And then, like I said, once you've got your mind and your emotions in check from that point on, well, then you can start doing other crazy things like actually leaving your body and uh, going exploring, you know, and seeing, you know, doing, doing what, uh, doing whatever you want, you know, go, go exploring, you know, you have to have an adventurous spirit. Like I said, uh, test things that nobody else has thought of. And that's what I'm looking for. I mean, that's why I give these talks. I, I do not give, I do not do these interviews because 
I'm interested in convincing other people about what I've done, you know, there's no point in that. I, I've had so many people come to me like, well, I don't believe you. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you believe. My, my interest is in that you've listened to me and that you, hopefully that you will take some of my advice if you're interested and you will be able to do this yourself because then I've got another person who can do the same thing I can do. And then you tell me what you believe, you know, I, I have no use. In fact, you know, that's, you know, the real reality is that that's how cults get started. You know, I don't need a bunch of people following me around who just believe that I can do this, who have no power of their own. You know, that's, there's no point in that. That's how some of the most unhealthy relationships get started with religious teachers, with gurus, with uh, cult leaders, with whatever. I mean, it's, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. I am, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a religious person by nature and I have no interest for people who just are followers. I want experiencers. I want you, I want people to do the same thing that I'm doing. So that's a, uh, that's the, that's the long and the short of it. What I, what I've just laid out there. So what else can I tell you? Where else can we go from here? <laughs> so so just, just, you've mentioned something and don't worry about it. I'm on okay. your turn. Um, okay. When you start with lucid dreaming, something that you said is this would be like the first step for people for later on doing the astral projection. And and if you could just tell me uh, what is the difference? Well, I know what is the, the difference, but is um, the technique to get one different from the technique to get the other, or is once you are in a lucid dreaming state then you start doing the astral projection gotcha and that is that is an excellent question and it's a question that i'm going to be i'm going to be very honest with you i'm not still i'm not entirely sure where those boundaries are at i talk to a lot of people out there who are very certain about those boundaries and i am not always sure but what i can tell you is that in in many, but not all, not all, but many of my astral projections, I can physically feel myself detaching from my physical body. And there are all kinds of techniques to actually get out of the body. Um, this will often happen, again, when people are, are experiencing some form of sleep paralysis. People who wake up during sleep paralysis, they, are, they feel almost as if they're trapped inside their body. And that, creates, that can create all sorts of fear and confusion. And there's all sorts of, you know, there's lots of theories that this is where the idea of um, uh, – these night terrors and or demons and whatnot who come and attack you, you know, while you're sleeping. Uh, you know, these stories that that date back for hundreds and hundreds of years. Some people believe that this comes from people waking up during sleep paralysis. It, it can be very frightening. So, so what I'm saying is that once you become lucid, that is absolutely key. Key number one, you have to be aware of your situation, that, that your body's asleep and that your mind, whatever that means, your consciousness, is awake. So that's the first key. Um, after that, there are some people who claim that what they will do is I believe there is a uh, uh, one, of the, one of the lucid dreamers I work with out here in Boulder, Colorado, Lana Sackwild, and also there's a Jade Shaw who I, who I work with who claim that they will actually open a door of some sort. And they'll, they can even create a door with their, with their hand. They can perhaps, some people say that they can sort of like draw a circle in the air and they sort of use it as a gateway to, to exit out of their body. Uh, that sounds 
it, it's it's one technique, but personally, what I've experienced is that, again, not all the time, but about at least half the time, I can actually feel something detaching from the body, and it's a very specific sensation. It is unlike any other sensation. It is so odd. It's almost like something is peeling away from you know a uh, a more of a physical a physical entity. You can feel this this lighter form of yourself actually pulling out. And uh, sometimes what I will do, another technique is that you roll out of your body. Again, once you wake up and your body's asleep, uh, there's this thing that I can do. And many other people have noticed that this is a really good thing. You can kind of roll as if like, you know, when you roll over in bed, but, mm-hmm. but of course your body is in that sleep paralysis state. So it's not your physical body that's rolling. There is this, there's another aspect it's your consciousness that's sort of rolling out of your body and i can do this thing where i sort of like i roll off to my side and i can just sort of slip out of my body and at that point i mean i can even see i mean i can see my body laying there you know perfectly asleep in bed which is a little disturbing to some people at first it's certainly disturbing to me when i when to actually look at your own body that is that will uh that will really concrete these ideas in your head like well uh the stories are true okay my consciousness is truly something that is totally you know different from my physical body but uh but yeah like like i said that doesn't happen all the time though sometimes i've had lucid dreams where as far as i'm concerned i'm just in a an awakened state and then all of a sudden i can go and just find you know some friend or a family member and i can just see whatever the heck they're doing and i have no sensation or recollection of actually you know doing that thing where i'm pulling out of my body or slipping out of my body I, i've many times i have no sensation of that whatsoever and i don't always know where that division is i will i will say that that there is that things things tend to look differently when you're out of the body as opposed to a lucid dream there's a different quality about the way everything feels the way everything looks and it's it's so ab- we're talking about such abstract differences now that it's it's one of those things you almost have to just experience for yourself. It is a very, it's very abstract. It's a, it's a quality that seems like something that you remember because we're, you know, we're, we were born on, on the astral plane. We were not, you know, our consciousness has been around forever. So this is a, these sensations, when we go into these states of consciousness, when we, you know, remove ourselves from our body, you know, there's a, there's a sense that is ancient that pops up where we go, that's right. I, I know I've been doing this forever. I, this is, yeah, it's like this thing comes back like this. And, and like I said, for some people, it's just, it's a whole flood of memories that come, they come back to people where some people will then restart remembering, you know, their past, the past bodies that they have been in and yada, yada, yada. And then you can get into all of that, you know, past life experiences and everything. But uh, you have to start with that initial, you know, that initial point where you get out of your own body first. And then, uh, and then it is, it's like, it's like you get all, this download almost of all of this old information, like, Oh yeah, that's right. I've always been doing this and I've known this at, at, in my heart of hearts that this is how things work. And it's just a, it's a deep knowing, you know? So, uh, and like I said, you know, once you do this, the benefits are, 
are they, they can't be exaggerated. Uh, you know, one of the benefits is that I, it's really hard for me to be afraid of death anymore. Uh, the idea of dying is, I mean, I don't want to suffer in this body. Obviously nobody does. I, I you know, you don't, you never want to, you, you, no one wants the idea of like, well, that things are going to end badly, that there's like, you know, a lot of physical pain, yada, yada. But the idea of death in and of itself is not something that, that, that has a grip on me anymore. Uh, it's something that becomes very laughable really. And your life takes on such a lighter sort of attitude. You know, I take, I, I take myself so less seriously now. I mean, life has become a joy and in many ways a joke, not, not in like a, uh, not, not that I, 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 that I can't be serious or that I'm always just joking all the time, but a lot of people are kind of surprised when they hear my talks and you know, they hear me, t- my talks, or they've, they've seen my articles or something like that. And then they go and actually connect with me on, on Facebook. And they realize what a joker I am, that I am, I'm making jokes all the time. And I have a real dark, I have a dark twisted sense of humor and whatnot. And people are sometimes <laughs> a little shocked by this. They're like, well, what's, you know, gosh, I kind of had this idea again, they're wrapping this story around me. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm absolutely not a religious teacher. I'm not a guru on any level. I'm still just a person, but, but I don't take myself too seriously anymore. Uh, it's, it's really hard to, when you, when you know the truth about what you really are at your heart of hearts, when you know that, when you know that your consciousness is something that can't die, when you know that, you know, it's, it's like, well, this is just a, uh, you know, this body is just a sleeve that I'm wearing right now. It's just a, uh, it's just a, you know, that's this other thing that I'm, that I'm, that I'm using right now for this particular journey. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, okay. that's something that's pretty good. <laughs> so we have reached the end of today. And okay. um, do you want to let people know how to get in contact with you and just, your final thought before we say goodbye? Absolutely. Uh, I'd say my my final thoughts are if uh, just kind of summarizing some of the few points I said, if you really want to get into this practice, uh, you cannot approach it from fear. You cannot have fear over overwhelm your desire to be adventurous. That's the biggest thing. I have so many people who, who, come to me or come to some of the groups I'm connected to and they have got nothing. All of their questions are all around, but what if this happens? But what if this happens? But what if, what if my body is possessed when I'm outside of my body? What if demons attack me? I mean, it's just on and on and on. And I'm, and often I, I don't know what to say to those people because I feel like, you know, if you're, if you are so afraid and you have all of these other narratives about what could happen, um, it's going to be really hard to get into this practice. Uh, you've got to come, come at this with joy and love and openness and acceptance. You know, you've got to, you got to throw caution to the wind, you know? And, uh, but I would say that the benefits all outweigh any of the possible downfalls. Yeah. Some of this is scary. I myself have seen a lot of, I've come across a lot of things that are very frightening, uh, earth shattering, things that just destroyed my sense of ego, things that destroyed my sense of how the world works. And that can be very frightening, but you know, the benefits, all of it outweighs uh, all of the fear. So always keep that in mind and uh, stare at your hands. Always keep that in mind. in the back of your head, you know, that's right. You know, you can find yourself in a dream and you're somewhere, even on a, even in that in-between state, 
just put that in your head. Ian told me to stare at my hands and hold your attention to your hand as long as you can. And you tell me what happens. Now, if you want to get in touch with me, um, again, my my first book, Tripping the Field, can be found anywhere. It's on it's on Amazon. It's on Bar- you know, Barnes and Noble. Just type it in. You can find all of my projects through my personal website, which houses my website, Iboga Moon Productions, which is it's just my name, ianjaded.com. That's where you can find links to all of the talks I've given, all of the articles I've written. You can find my book, which links directly to my publisher. We always appreciate it if you buy the book directly from the publisher and not go through a larger corporation like Amazon. Jeff Bezos has enough money. Sorry, Jeff, but you've got enough <laughs> money. Already. Um you know, buy from the publisher. More of your money goes to the people who actually created these projects when you do that. So glad, glad I press is my publisher for, uh, for my first book and reading tripping the field. Uh, that book will put you in the mindset that will prep you for this kind of stuff. Even though it's, it's a fun, ridiculous, wild adventure. That's not to be taken seriously, but it's, like I said, it's all based on, you know, like my experiences, it's based on my wisdom. So uh, it's going to prep your mind to get into these ideas. It's going to teach you how this world works as you read it, even though it is fiction. Um, and uh, if you want to connect with me directly, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. And I do post my art and some ideas there. I really don't find those venues really the best place to contact me if you really want to talk to me if you want to have a if you have a question for me either go to my website and and my email is on there you can or you can uh there's actually a place where you can send me a note or go to facebook uh i'm really easy to find on facebook uh facebook is a is a better venue for me because you can actually go have back and forth much easier and you're not you're not restricted by you know how long your messages or anything and you can it's it's just an easier way to communicate as far as i'm concerned still so uh if you really want to have a conversation yeah find my email or go to uh uh go to facebook otherwise yeah that's uh that's the long and the short of it so <laughs> that's about thank it thank you so I, much I, for being here Ian. i oh, want to Claudia, thank you thank for you. being here Oh, yeah, thank you. And you're always welcome. So let us know when you want to come back for your second book. Oh, well, great. Thank you. Yeah, when uh, when the next book comes out, I'm going to have a whole other bunch of stuff to talk about. So, yeah, thank you, Claudia. Thank you so much. It was great yeah, Great to talk to you. Thank you. The same here. Goodbye. All right. All right. Bye-bye.